Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. We're going to take a pause on our teaching on intercession. I do want to put a plug in for that. We're still meeting Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday in the morning, 7 to 8. Wednesday, we're meeting at 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. to give an earlier spot for those of you that can't make it at 7. For you, those of you poor souls, at 7 o'clock is late in the day. God bless you. But we want to meet at 6 for you. So, uh, And I'll often be here a half hour early, so you can come a little earlier than that. Just get in on some prayer. I want to encourage you. Make it out for one of those days of intercession session. This is a time to pray for this nation. It is crucial that we cooperate with heaven and govern with God through intercession. Prayer is the governmental mechanism by which heaven exerts its influence in the earth. And so if you can make it out, do so. We've been teaching on intercession. We'll probably, God willing, I think he is, pick that up next week. But I want to give a a plug for what uh, Pam was talking about last week and that whole area of inner healing and just getting things resolved in our inner man. And so we're going to be launching another cycle of what used to be called Christ Life is now called the ultimate journey. Uh, I was around before Christ Life was even established. It was just a small group ministry that was started in Teen Challenge and it took on a life of its own and we launched it as an independent ministry and it's gone around the world. It's a wonderful ministry. Uh, And it's a ministry geared towards helping people Get un get get untangled from their past so that their their past does not determine their future. And so we're gonna be launching another cycle of that soon, and we wanna make you aware of that. So I wanna just touch on the need to deal with your past. Uh, I remember when we first started that ministry and we started taking it into other churches and there was a firestorm of criticism that came against it. Now it seems kind of uh, funny looking back that people were so adamantly against it, but you would begin to hear things like, well, it's under the blood and that's in my past and the cross took care of it all. And there were pastors that would get up and preach against Christ's life and and, uh, really came against Teen Challenge even because it was purporting this new doctrine of dealing with your past. Now, in this environment, because we've, that is so embedded in our culture, we don't think that way, but there's, there are still believers who believe that. I was trained in a Bible school, the, the, the founder of which would preach against dealing with your past, only to have him fall in an immoral way and really lose his ministry. He's, he's still in ministry today, but he's lost probably 80% of the platform, the global platform he once had, sadly, because he didn't deal with his past. And so I want to deal with that because lest you still hold to that kind of belief system, I want to make you understand. I want you to realize, I don't make you understand. I want to help you understand. If I could make you, I would, but I can't. Uh, I want to help you realize that God wants to free you from your past. And just because Jesus died to free you of your past doesn't mean that when you're saved, you automatically are. Jesus also went to the whipping post for your healing, but you need to exercise faith to enter in and receive that gift. And you need to exercise faith and enter in and receive the gift of healing from your past as well. Needs to be applied. And so 
Dealing with past issues is a, is a crucial thing. And so let's, let's pray. And then we're going to look at a quick story in Scripture. It's just a great little story to kind of hang this principle on this morning. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for all the celebration we've done this morning, celebrating who you are in worship. And Lord, we just want to put another exclamation point at the end of that. You are worthy. And Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing in our children. We thank you for the faithful people that are investing in them. Lord, we ask that you continue to do so. But Lord, now we ask that you would bless the teaching of your word. Lord, I ask that you would put oil on my words and you would strike the target of our hearts. Lord, if we have any unresolved issues, Lord, if things from our past are still affecting our present and sabotaging our future, we pray, Lord, even as I talk, that you would unearth those and put your finger on our heart. We want to be all that you've called us to be, Jesus. We want you to have everything you died for at the cross. What you purchased, we want to give to you. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and read Genesis chapter 16. This is an interesting little story. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed, go figure, to what Sarah had said. So after Abraham had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai took her Egyptian slave Hagar, gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abraham, you got to love this. this. Gentlemen, listen to this one. Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms. I'm sure that Abram's zeroing in on the I there. Hey, it was your idea. And, but Sarai says this. She said, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms. And now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between me and thee. Essentially, she was saying, it's your fault for seizing upon this idea. And if you don't believe me, go talk to God about it and he'll back me up. And much to Abram's frustration, she was right. There's a backstory here to this young woman, Hagar. It's an interesting story we'll get into in a moment. But let's, let's read on a little moment here and see what happens. Look at verse 6. Abram, being the passive leader that he is, he got himself into trouble being passive. And now he's going to deepen the problem by being passive again. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think is best. Well, he already knows there's a conflict going on here. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar. This is a beautiful story. The angel of the Lord meets this distressed, young, pregnant woman. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. 
It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said to her, listen to what he says. This is the angelic message. Now you need to understand, angels are messengers. He's bringing her a message from God. And he says to her, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? Where are you going? Four important things the angel said to her. Hagar calls her by name. You know, the name Hagar was an Egyptian name. And if you, the, the, the derivative of that name is, it means literally to flee. She was living up to her name. So he called her by name. He was kind of rubbing her face in reality. Hagar, you who are fleeing from your problems. Servant of Sarai. Now he's really rubbing it in. You can run, but you can't hide. This is your situation. You are the servant of Sarai. And then he asks her this twofold question. He says, where have you come from and where are you going? And if you look at the text, Hagar only has an answer to the first question. She said, I am running from my mistress. She didn't have an answer to the second question because until you resolve what you're running from, you'll never be able to run to something. You've got to settle your past before you can move into your destiny. And she was running from her past. Now, if you look at the backstory, he would have never been welcomed there. Most likely what happened, uh, what would happen in these ancient cultures, we see it in the book of Esther, and it wasn't uncommon. Matter of fact, this whole scenario was not uncommon. It seems so scandalous to us for a woman to give her maidservant to the husband to, ha- to you know, produce a family for her, but that was a common thing. It seems scandalous to us, and I'm telling you, after the fact, it seems scandalous to Sarah, because now she was hurt because her barrenness was simply amplified because her maidservant was now despising her over her ability to conceive, and she couldn't conceive. Most likely, the story on Hagar is she was a young village girl, who, and they, often these, these pharaohs, these kings, these rulers, not just in Egypt, but across the ancient world, would send their administrators to villages to look for the most beautiful young girls in the villages to serve in the royal court. And so one day, most likely, Hagar, who was already known for her beauty as a young girl, probably in her early teens... She was called to the city gate along with the other girls her age and the royal administrator would come and look everybody over, interview the families and she would be informed, you are coming to the royal court. And rather than being a downer for the family, this was very exciting because there was a possibility she would be made a concubine, which is kind of like a second class wife and she would have intimate relationships with the king, but it would also mean she would be living in the lap of luxury. It would be similar to being discovered by a Hollywood producer. Like a young girl who's at the restaurant in in Hollywood and all of a sudden someone would come up and say, hey, I think you have the goods to make a star. And she would be asked to audition and next thing you know, she's getting contracts and she's, she's starting to climb the ladder with the ultimate. She might be the next big thing. This would have been where Hagar was coming from because she was one of the young women that was in the royal court. 
And just like we see with Esther and Xerxes and his first wife, who was asked to parade before the men and, and show her beauty, and she was, he got them all, it, it, I mean, the, the ancient world was twisted, okay? But this is Bible. They, they, they were all drinking, and he said, bring my wife, and I want everybody to see how beautiful she is, and she refused. And so then the royal administrator said, you have no choice, king. You got to make her step down from being the queen, and she's never been going to be able to see you again, or otherwise other wives will be rebellious. Now, ladies, aren't you glad you live in this day and age? And so when she's removed, then somebody else gets to move up the ladder and have that royal position. It was a big deal. This would be very similar to being groomed to be some rock star in that day and age. And so now this beautiful couple, this aged couple, but this beautiful woman comes to town and everybody can see where this thing's going, that Pharaoh wants her as his own. And so he gives to her gifts, maidservants and men servants, and Hagar would have been one of those maidservants. And that just gets her one step closer because just like Abraham is going to produce children through her, it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility that if he takes Sarai, Pharaoh takes Sarai as his wife, that Hagar, being given to her as a maidservant, would then have relationships with Pharaoh, and that would elevate her position because her children would be of royal blood. And so she's beginning to climb the ladder. I mean, things are happening for this young woman. She's in the most powerful nation on earth, in the courtroom, and now has been given to a woman that the, the king himself has eyes on, and everything is going good until one fatal night, there's a bang on her door, and she's told, get everything you own together. The, the, the man and the woman that you were given to, they're not brother and sister. They're husband and wife, and they're being kicked out of the kingdom, and you're going with them. And so now here she is. She's lost all of these opportunities, this, these aspirations, these dreams have come crashing down. And now she's not only lost that, she's lost her home country. And she's a vagabond marching around the desert with this old couple. And to add insult to injury, she's told, you're going to produce children for me with my wrinkled old husband. So when you read the phrase, when she conceived... She despised her. There's a backstory to this thing. This was a broken, devastated young woman who had shattered dreams. And she despised Sarai in her heart. And the principle is this. What is conceived in bitterness will affect your relationships. She couldn't keep a lid on it. She despised Sarai. It began to come out. Sarai understood it. Sarai went to complain to Abram and said, it's your fault. And he's like, what? Hey, hey, man, you know, it's your idea, baby. And he says, hey, do whatever's in your, in your heart, baby. She's yours. And he's being passive again, and it's just causing more problems. And so young Hagar, she begins to live up to her name, and she's running from her past it wasn't just about the conception. It was about all the loss. And now she can't keep a lid on it. It's affecting her relationships. It's affecting her livelihood. And so she takes off and she runs. But the Lord in his mercy sends the angel of the Lord to confront her, to chase her down, and to speak to her as she's by this spring on the road to Shur. And he says, Hagar, you who flee. 
I'm going to call it like it is. You are a girl who runs from your past. Servant of Sarai, this is your situation. You know, a lot of times in, in counseling situations, in uncomfortable situations, I'm not talking about therapeutic counseling. I'm talking about just you're loving on someone. You have a friend and they're pouring out their heart and they're, they're wanting to share things with you. There is a real desire on our part to kind of relieve them of their problems, their, their pain. And if we're not careful, we can edit reality and bring them into a fantasy world to lessen their pain momentarily, but it just keeps them in their pain permanently because they can't resolve what they won't own. And so we can't afford to minimize people's situations. They have to face their pain. You have to face your pain. Because if you don't face your pain, you put it this way, the mind hates unfinished business. And if you won't deal with it consciously, you most certainly will deal with it unconsciously. Because your mind will try to resolve it in other ways. It's going to bring it up. Hebrews chapter 12 puts it this way. It says, a, a, a bitter root will defile many. What the author is talking about is, in ancient culture, they, it was a, an agricultural society in, mo, in a desert area, so they were dependent upon wells. One of the first things they would do is they get to a place, they would dig a well because their, their, their future depended on it. And they would dig a well, in, and out of that well, they could begin to uh, grow, you know, grow li, uh, you know, agricultural cultivation, and they could begin to create an oasis in the desert. But the danger was if you had a well, an underground uh, water source that a bitter root got into, that root would taint the taste of the water. So everybody that drank from that well would taste the bitterness of that root. A bitter root will defile many. And there are people who, with unresolved issues, they're still bitter about their past. And sometimes bitterness is not so much unforgiveness towards a person as a bitter attitude of disappointment over things that have happened. You've never really resolved those things. You just keep avoiding it. And it, 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 it taints the taste of your relationships. People have interactions with you and they're tasting something. There's, there's, a, there's a flavor that comes off of you, this, this cynicism, this sarcasm, this negativity, this, uh, just this view of life that shades everything that flows from you. And so we need to learn to enter into forgiveness for those we're bitter with and resolve the situations we're bitter over. We've got to bring resolution. And so the angel of the Lord says, Hagar, you who run, servant of Sarai, you can run, but you can't hide. This is your situation, and you must deal with it. And then he asked her the question, where have you come from, and where are you going? And again, it's very clear in the text. You can read it yourself. She doesn't have an answer where she's going. She, she's not going anywhere. She is so busy running from something, she has no sense of future. Unresolved issues lock your eyes on the rearview mirror of life. It causes you to always be re reacting to your past instead of being proactive about your future. The enemy loves to use your past 
to begin to prophesy your future. He loves to use your past to shape your future and create this foreboding thing. Laura and I were talking this week and she was talking about this principle and, and it really struck home with me because I remember when I first got saved, when I, well, before I got saved, I was, many of you know, when I got saved, I was living on the streets. I was a homeless alcoholic and I, man, there's times where things would go good for a little while. I'm like, man, this is, this is awesome. Life's going good. But I ha- had this feeling like, man, the shoe's going to drop. I, this is not going to last. Something is going to happen. And I always knew that the, the good times would end and some tragedy was around the corner. Well, that was pretty logical the way I was living. <laughs> that was, you didn't have to be a prophet to know that. I mean, my, my decisions were going to create an unfortunate future. But even as I, after I got saved, I still carried that kind of foreboding sense of future with me. And I remember, man, things began to work out in my life because I wasn't spending all my money on drinking. I wasn't waking up in strange places. I wasn't getting in fights with strangers. You know, I was living for the Lord. No, that's, that's good. When you get saved, you shouldn't get in fights with strangers. I just wanted to clear that up in case you were unclear about that. And so all of a sudden things were going good for me, but I still had this sense of foreboding because I had created a, a, a mindset, a, a, a way of looking at life that shaded how I looked at the future. And I had to address that mindset. It was a product of my past. My thinking, my, my, my thinking patterns had been shaped by the, the way I used to live. And I had to renew my mind. Let me put it this way. Kind of put that on pause. You are a Trinitarian being. You are made in God's image. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Made in his image, you are spirit, soul, and body. Your body is that component of your nature that enables you to interact with the physical world. Your spirit is that component of your nature that enables you to have a relationship with God, to hear from God, to have you, when you are saved, when you are born again, it's your spirit that is born again. Literally life comes into your spirit that died in, in, at the sin of Adam. We were born with one whole third of our nature dead. And so we get, we're born again is the terminology John used. We're, we're infused with the life of God. The Holy Spirit comes to live in our spirit and we're in tune with God. But then we have this soul. Our soul is like the liaison between the physical realm and the spiritual realm. And it itself is a Trinitarian organ. The soul is your mind, your thinking, your will, your volition, your choosing, and your emotions, your feeling capacity. That is the realm of the soul. When we get saved, our spirit man is saved, but our soul is in the process of getting... So your born-again experience, that's an event. You got saved. But there's a long process called discipleship where your soul is being saved. And that entails renewing your mind, confronting those belief systems that are wrong. We have self-sabotaging thoughts. We have, work, we have belief systems that don't line up with the word of God, and it makes life not work. And so we've got to continually renew our minds. Now, there's two ways to renew your mind, intentionally and on accident. <laughs> you can live for Jesus and just show up in church and listen to sermons, and your mind will be renewed in measure. Or you can take responsibility for it and say, I'm going after this thing and I'm going to change my believing and it's going to show up in my behaving. 
I'm going to change my life on purpose. And those that go after that to renew their mind, they're getting into the word of God. They're allowing God to edit their thoughts. They're listening to podcasts and reading books and they're talking to other believers. And they're, they're beginning to interact and they're growing in their, their walk with God because they're renewing their mind. And let me just pause here for a second because we're on our second pause, by the way. We put that on pause now, this one now. There's a, when you are renewing your mind, it's not just you and the word and you listening to sermons. Because there, is, there are blind spots that we have that will keep us from hearing certain things. There's a lot of things you're going to just pick up. You're going to, as you're intentional about, God can speak to you. But there are other things you will never hear because you have some firmly established belief systems that will make you the exception to the rule. You won't even hear the truth. It'll bounce right off. And what we need in that regard are relationships. People that will tell you, you've got toilet paper on your shoe. You know, or something, you know, we, people are going to tell you, hey, you, your hair's messed up or whatever. People that are going to give you feedback, people that love you enough to say, you know, I notice that you have a tendency to react like this in these situations. And if you really love the truth and you really want to grow, you're going to seek those relationships out. Scripture says to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. To the hungry soul, they'll eat out of a doggy dish. When you're full, you're, you're not as enticed by food. Well, I, I want it prepared a little better. I want one of those little squiggly drop, you know, little syrupy things uh, and a little green leaf over here. Because I'm not that hungry. I want it prepared right. But if you're really hungry, you'll eat what's put in front of you. And the same is true spiritually. To the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. And we all need those relationships. Now, I prefer the relationships. Those who are going to confront me, present it with a nice plate and a little squiggly things and a little green leaf there. But if you can't give it to me that way and you just got to give it to me in a doggy dish, I just want truth. It'll be harder for me to swallow and I'll have to go deal with Jesus about my heart. But I want the truth because I don't want to believe a lie and live a lie and be producing the fruit of a lie and I don't even know it. I need relationships. There are things in our lives that we will never see outside of relationships. And so it's essential. We talked about this Sometime in the last 10 years. First John chapter one. No, it's really about, about a year ago probably. First John, he talks about this. He said, walk in the light as he is in the light and you will have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Three steps. Walk in the light where nothing's hidden. Have real relationships. That means transparency. Have relationships where you're letting people in on the inside. Expose your crazy thinking. There are things, every one of us have been there. You're thinking something and it sounds so true and then you share it with someone else and it's halfway out and you're blushing already. This is so stupid, I can't believe I believe this. They don't even need to tell you anything. You just needed somebody to bounce it off of objectively because what sounds true in a monologue is exposed for the lie that it is in a dialogue. So we need those people out there to bounce it up. So transparency will lead to intimacy and intimacy will lead to purity because there are some things in your life you'll never deal with outside of relationship. You won't even know they're there. Relationships will provoke some things to the surface that will lie dormant until you get into a relationship. That's why most of us need to get married. 
Okay, now I'm meddling. So let's move on. So we need to renew our minds, but we also need to deal with our emotions. A lot of our emotional feelings are, we, we're, a lot of us are reacting out of past issues and we don't even know it. We're reacting to people out of, these, out of the past and if we don't deal with those emotions, if we don't confront where that's really coming from, we're going to end up overreacting to situations in the present. You ever seen somebody hunt flies in the living room with a sledgehammer? And they're breaking the front. I'm telling you, it's not about the fly in the present. There's some issues there. There's something they're reacting to in the past that's a little overreaction. And people will do that. They'll overreact to things because they're dealing with some unresolved issues from their past. And so we've got to confront those things. We need relationships. And this program that we're relaunching, this that we're going to do another cycle of, Christ Life or the Ultimate Journey, will enable you to begin to be sensitive to uh, highlight those unresolved issues. It will give you an opportunity to do an inventory of the different stages of your life and see if there's any unresolved issues there. I call it putting the broomstick in the beehive and seeing if anything comes out. There's, we, you just go over those, your, the, the, the narrative of your life and begin to say, you know, are there any, anything coming up so that we can resolve those? Because I'm telling you, Jesus wants you free. He died so that you can be free. But you have to apply his redemptive healing to those areas. And you've got to acknowledge them and deal with them. And so what was the counsel of the angel? It is 1201.12. What, what was the counsel of the angel? He had a statement. He was identifying, he was defining her identity. Right now, you're the girl who runs from her problems and you are the servant of Sarah, whether you like it or not. That is your situation. Then he had a question, a diagnostic, two questions, really. Again, she only had answer to the one because when you're running from something, you're not going to have the capacity to run to something. The more you resolve your past, the more you'll be able to give yourself to your future. It's a dangerous thing to fly down the highway at 70 staring in the rearview mirror. Accidents happen. So then he gives her this counsel. He says, and, and literally in the Hebrew, this is what it says. Go back and suffer ill treatment at her hand. Who wants to hear that counsel? But it was the word of the Lord. What he was saying is you've got to go back and face your pain. And then he makes her a promise. And I will make of you a great nation. Her future was already in her belly. She was a young woman, pregnant with promise. But she was so grieved about her past, unresolved grief from the past, and frustration about her present. That was actually the result of the unresolved grief from the past. Because she conceived something in bitterness, and it was affecting her relationships. So what did the angel say? Go back. Go back and suffer. Get a, deal with this pain, and then I will make you into a great nation. You know, a couple chapters later, she leaves again. But this time, she's not running. She's sent. And the Lord shows up again and makes her a promise about the child she was carrying. God doesn't want you running from things. He wants you running to them. 
I'm telling you, there are a lot of people that come to Jesus because they're running from pain. But if you don't switch gears and stop running from something and begin running to something, your commitment to the Lord will not last. Because the longer you run it from, put it this way. If I were to take a Doberman pincer that was trained to bite people on the hiney, and I tell you, I'm going to give you a head start, and this dog's going to chase you. And you take off running, and you outrun that dog, the far, you're going to be real motivated at first to run really fast. But the longer distance you get between you and that dog, you're going to be less inclined to run. And people start to get a little bit of relief from the situations in their past, and their motivation begins to diminish because they came to Jesus because of what they were running from, rather than coming to him over what they're running to. When you have the right motivations, when you're running to something in the Lord, I'm telling you, God has a future destiny for you. That those things in the past were, that was the enemy's attempt to sabotage you from entering into your destiny. God wants you to resolve that so it's not a distraction. So you can give yourself fully to all that he has for you. He said to her, I will make you into a great nation. So gracious of the Lord to chase this young girl down. So I want to encourage you, if you have never been through the ultimate journey, if you've never been through Christ's life, check it out, sign up. Some of you have been around here a long time and never done it. I just, I've been through Christ's life many, many times and God has, every time I go through highlighting things in my life, it, it not only showed me the unresolved issues in my life, but even the patterns that were still the result of those things. A lot of those things, because I went through it so many times, a lot of those things were healed, but there were, there were a lot of patterns of thinking that were coming out of that that I did not recognize. But sitting in a group with other believers that were going to keep my confidence, and I was going to be transparent, and there was going to build some intimacy, all of a sudden I could enter into purity. It's the way of the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this morning. Again, Lord, we thank you for all that's happened. But Lord, we want freedom. We want freedom. We want to be all that you've called us to be. And so, Lord, I ask, God, that you would do surgery in our hearts. And Lord, we pray for this next season of the ultimate journey, that you would go deep and set people free, that they would be contagious. Lord, that they would carry the liberty of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.